Welcome back to Steph's Business Bookshelf and this week something a little bit different. Normally each week I bring you the three big ideas from the best non-fiction books that I've been reading and do the reading so you don't have to. But for these special episodes in December 2021 I'm talking to some friends and I'm talking to them about the books that they've been reading this year, how they've been reading this year and maybe adding some books to your to-be-read pile. This week it is Shane Hatton who will be sharing two of the books that he has been reading and really enjoying this year. If you like this episode and you want more like this, you may be interested in my new Patreon membership, which is launching in January 2022, which gives you more of these episodes as bonus content where I'm going to be talking to authors and thinkers and doers and creatives about the books that they read and how they read. This content is called How We Read and I'm excited to bring it to you then. So let's get into it. Let's hear what Shane has been reading this year. Hi, Shane. Hi, Steph. I'm so excited for this. Me too. And it is really nice to be recording with someone else for a change. This is quite exciting as I launch into these special episodes to round out the year, finding out how other people have been reading and what other people have been reading in 2021. Shane, for the the people who have something missing in their lives by not knowing who you are, (laughs) give us a very quick intro as to who you are and what you do. That's a really, really kind way of setting that up. Okay, so I describe myself. I'm a Queenslander by birth, Melbourneian by choice. I'm a bit curious by nature and I'm a creative at heart. That pretty much wraps up the kind of person that I am. What I do, I work with organizations to develop remarkable people leaders within their business. Nice. What a nice summary. And I can confirm this. We're not using the video for this, but Shane and I are on video as we're recording. I can confirm that Shane is dressed all in black. So he is that Melbourneian by choice. <laughs> Melbourneian by yeah, choice. Yeah. One of the questions I often ask when I'm doing strengths workshops with people is, is do you color coordinate your wardrobe? And it's always interesting to see the kinds of things that come out. And people ask me, I go, yes, it's color coordinated from like the blackest of t-shirts to the things that have been washed a number of times that this sort of like shades of gray as it works mm. through my wardrobe. That's a real typical Melbourneian wardrobe. Yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Especially <laughs> with weather like this as well, which is particularly Melbourneian at the moment. So not what I moved from the UK for is this kind of weather. So anyway, away from the weather, let's talk about books. So Shane, how has 2021 changed your reading? What have you been reading maybe more of, less of this year? And yeah, tell us a little bit about how 2021, your, your year of reading has been. Yeah, I mean, I, I always find it interesting when it comes to my reading habit, um, because I think some people, I I look at people like you and you're like the model of what I would aspire to be when it comes to reading. (laughs) I always get so intimidated when I see people that are just like, not only just kind of devouring books, but like really pulling wisdom out of those books as well. And I, one of the things I learned about myself, especially in the last couple of years more so, is that I'm actually not a reader, which which is gonna sound interesting when I say it that way. And what I mean by I'm not a reader is that I didn't grow up reading books. Like I avoided at all costs reading books. And so I never built that as a habit or as a practice. And later in life, I, you know, obviously doing what I'm doing right now, I describe myself as a thinker. Like I'm a really big thinker. And so when it came to books, what I've learned in the last probably 18 months or 12 months, especially is that I'm not a reader, but I'm a learner. I'm a, I'm a huge learner. And so when I'm in a book and I feel like I'm learning, it's such an enjoyable experience for me. But if I'm in a book and I feel like I just can't get that learning experience out of it, then I go, I hate reading. It's not my thing. I don't want to read mm. at all. 
Oh, how interesting. And I can see behind you, you've got quite a little impressive bookshelf there, including your own book, <laughs> Lead the Room, which I have talked about on my podcast. How has writing a book changed the way you read books? I mean, number one, it's given me a huge level of respect for people who write a book and to who can capture their thinking. Someone asked me, is it hard to write a book? And I was kind of like, it's the easiest and hardest thing you'll ever do in your life. Easiest in the sense that it's actually not hard to write 50 or 55,000 words. It's actually really easy. Like if you sat down over the next couple of months and just went, I'm going to get all of my thoughts and ideas down onto a piece of paper. That's actually quite easy. The hard part is to actually distill it down to something that's elegant and and somewhat unique in the way that you write. And so that's quite challenging. So when I'm reading books now, I'm definitely reading it through the lens of, hey, this person's done a remarkable job at like bringing their thinking down into simplicity and elegance. Yeah, I think reading a lot of books has definitely made me really question whether I ever want to write a book. I I think everyone should write a book at least once Mm. in their life just to prove to themselves that we all have this, you know, I talk about it cleverness or this, you know, zone of genius. We all have that one thing that we could write something about. And I think it definitely reveals that when you see it sitting in front of you in a physical form. Yeah, nice. Yeah, that tangible piece is important, isn't it? So let's talk about the two favorite books that you have read this year. Tell us about the first one. What made you pick it up? Was it recommended? And a little bit about your thoughts on it. Yeah. So I, the first book that I, I read was um, a book called Super Thinking. It's called Upgrade Your Reasoning and Make Better Decisions with Mental Models. And it's by mm-hmm. Gabrielle Weinberg and Lauren McCann. And it was recommended to me uh, by a good friend of mine who we are both, when it comes to Clifton Strengths, number one ideation. And so we're always looking for new shiny things to kind of sink our teeth into, but both deep thinkers. And you know, the book is essentially a a book of mental models and it walks you through every kind of mental model that you can imagine around decision-making around, you know, your own biases and how to become more aware of your own biases. And I, I just found it such a, like, as a thinker, it was like, it was, I don't even know how to describe it. It was like nourishing food. It was like a cool glass of water for my brain. And so that was, yeah, the way that I described that. Yeah. Nice. That sounds really cool. Do you follow the visualized value I do. I do. It's it's kind of like that. It's kind of like that, but basically unpacking what each mental model is and how we can better use it in our life to make sense. Yeah. Awesome. And which one has stuck with you the most or what surprised you the most from that book? Yeah. I mean, one of the things that I find is that someone asked me the other day, they go, do you think you're a a wise person? And I was like, oh gosh, what a tough question to answer Mm. because when it comes to bringing your own IP, especially in, in the work that I do is like, you're training people in your own IP that you've developed. And it can feel very arrogant when you bring it up like that. And like, are you a wise person? Like, well, I've started to reflect on this is my, what I would describe as wisdom is not necessarily making new things, but making sense of the world around us and mental models and models help us to be able to make sense of the world around us. And so one of the models in there, for example, was, um, we've heard of Occam's razor, right? Which is usually like the most simple explanation is the, the the right explanation. Well, this one was around Hanlon's razor, which was don't attribute to malice that which can be more easily described by carelessness. And so it was like little things mm. like that. I'm like, oh, or the other one they talked about was like the MRI, which is the most reasonable, I'm trying to think of what is most reasonable interpretation, which is if someone writes you an email and your assumption is that it's come across with million, you know, ill intent. It's like, mm. give them the benefit of the doubt that it was sent with the best of intentions. And there's all these little mental models that you can have in your brain that help you to make sense of the world around you and ultimately help you to make better decisions and and live a better life. 
Yeah, wow. And what a time to be reading a book about giving people the benefit of the doubt. Oh, well, I mean, another one example, it was a disconfirmation bias. We often hear a lot about confirmation bias. Mm. The one that was really stood, stuck with me was this disconfirmation bias, which is we tend to put a higher burden of proof on things that we don't want to be true. So especially that one stood out for me at the moment. It's like, if we don't want something to be true, if we don't believe it to be true, we put a higher level of evidence required to convince us that it's true and it becomes a disconfirmation bias. I was like, yeah, oh well, gosh, yeah. what a relevant conversation for right now. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, wow. That sounds really cool. That definitely sounds like a book that I would like to get into. And it sounds like one as well, would I be right, that you can kind of dip in and out of and go back to refresh your ideas or what was that, what was Occam's Razor or going back to some of the models and things as well? Yeah. I mean, what I would really love is just this like one long summary of all of the, the mental mm. models that sat within there, but they're broken down into sections. So you can go, oh, I've got to make some big decisions right now. I'm going to go into the decision-making part of the book, or I've got some conflict right now. I'll go to the conflict section of the book. And there's a whole lot of mental models that you can use to just make sense of, of the situation that's sitting in front of you. Yeah. Very cool. Can you remind us what that book was called again for anyone who missed it at the beginning and then is like, oh yes. no, that sounds great. <laughs> it's called Super Thinking. It's by Gabrielle Weinberg and Lauren McCann. Perfect. And we'll put links to all of these different books and things into the show notes as well. That one sounds great. I think I'm going to pick that one up. Tell us a little bit about the second book that did something for you this year. This is going to sound really interesting because I, I was invited into a book club and it was an interesting invitation. I, I I say invited, but I kind of wove myself into the book club because I really wanted to be a part you of it. You invited yourself. Really to... that's, that's a much simpler way of putting it. Hmm. But it was essentially a book club with four other women and myself. And the book that they had chosen to read was called The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates. Basically, it's called How Empowering Women Changes the World, which was quite an interesting place for a man to enter into that conversation. And so and I have to say, I'm just going to pause you when Shane picked up that book to show me. It is full of little sticky notes. It's got like a skirt of, of sticky, sticky notes. Yeah. <laughs> I should have just highlighted the whole book. And I think I went into the group being very cautious around what I was going to contribute to that conversation, obviously. And so I, I just spent essentially 12 weeks sitting and listening to the conversation. And for me, the book was eye-opening in a number of ways. Now I'm, I'm, I'm already aware of, of so many, I guess, conversations that are taking place around the world, but I didn't know the detail. And I feel like I knew the context, but I didn't know the detail. And I think one of the things that Melinda Gates does in her book is to go really into the detail of what's actually taking place for women across the world. And why is nobody talking about it more than what they are? And so when you, you hear the stories, you go, actually, this is a really important conversation. Mm. And how, so was the, the format with the, over, you said there was 12 weeks, was that 12 different books over 12 weeks? Was it all about this book? Like how was the, what was the format? We, like? we would, we would basically read a chapter and we would come back together and we'd talk about it. And I think what, what okay. was so interesting for me as a man sitting in that group was listening to people, uh, listening to the other women in the group resonate with the stories and then share their own. And I think mm. one of the things that was, that's probably what made this book really moving for me was going, surely that's not a thing. Surely that hasn't been the experience for you. Or, you know, I mean, we, we hear the stats all the time. And this is one of the more popular ones that Melinda talks about in the book, which is, you know, when men and women apply for jobs, you know, men need to meet 60% of the criteria. Women need to meet hundred percent of it. And I hear that. And I often think of that as a man go, surely not. And like, I go, of course I would apply for that. And then you hear four other women talk about their experience of not going for things, not putting themselves forward. And I go, Oh, wow, this is, this is personal. And this is very real for a lot of people. Mm. What was this? It's not, this is a really nice example of reading in context actually as well, isn't it? Rather than just, if you'd read that, it's interesting to think whilst we can't do that experiment because it's impossible for you to have mm -hmm. read that book 
alone just as you would normally read any other book versus reading it in the context with the conversation with the the gathering and the community element to it as well are there any other books that you wish you had that experience of being able to kind of go back and if you'd been able to read in context i mean one of my favorite books is the coaching habit by michael bungo stanya and I read it as a, as a coach and I, I kind of wish I'd read that book as a leader in an organization because I feel mm. like coaching is easy when the person comes to you for a coaching conversation, but it's harder when you are in an organization and they're not expecting to be coached. And so I, there's some books like that where the practicality of it to be able to implement would work really well if you're in a different context. Mm. Yeah, that's one that comes to mind. Yeah. A friend of mine actually has just picked up the coaching habit in a new leadership role that he's gone into. And I was thinking, oh yeah, that's such a, it's so great to see that people picking up the right books at the right time as well, isn't it? So coming back to the Melinda Gates books and reading it, obviously with that, that group of women, what was the, what was the thing again, that you took away the most that sort of stuck with you from reading that book that you've now integrated or used in your work or your life in some way? Yeah. I mean, one of the big phrases that came through in the book was, Um, about making decisions about women or not necessarily just about women, but about people, different groups of people without having them represented in the room for the conversation. And I realized that there's so many things that we have conversations about that impact people that they're not involved in the conversation. So now wherever I can, if I go, this decision will impact in this way, who do I actually need to ask and have conversations with to make sure that they're involved in the decision-making process for that? What did it change your mind about? I think one of the things that changed my mind about was it, it reduced the gap between it being an issue that was out there somewhere and it being really close to home. And I think with any kind of big societal kind of conversation, it's a lot more real when it's personal and it's, it feels a lot less real when it's just a select few people shouting from a distance. And I think the, when you reduce that distance and it becomes relational, the conversation changes. Mm. Has it made you go and ask the women in your life and the women in your work and the women around you in your in your ecosystem, has it made you ask them different questions about their experiences and hear things that maybe you wouldn't have heard otherwise? Well, it's, it's made me, to be honest, and to be quite blunt about it, it's made me a lot quicker. Like, I think it's it's forced me to listen first more than I already have. And I think it's, it's caused me to make a lot less assumptions about things. And, you know, it, for example, it's small things. It, it could be you're in a large group of people and you're having a conversation about something. You might find it easy to talk about a particular topic of conversation because you think to yourself, surely nobody in the room here has been impacted by that. And now I'm a lot more conscious around anytime I bring up an issue that I've heard about that could be a big, you know, conversation I go, oh, there's probably somebody in the room here who's been touched by that in some way. And so maybe I Mm. need to be really careful about how I talk about this and in what way. Yeah, that's really interesting. Fantastic. And remind us of the name of that book again and, and the author. Yes. The Moment of Lift by Melinda Gates, How Empowering Women Changes the World. I see. What year was that one out? That was, it's not super recent, is it? I think it was last year. Oh, was it? 2020. Okay. So relevantly. Who knows at the moment? Just, it's all just melted into one anyway. So That's true. Yeah. Oh, good. That's always useful to know because I think sometimes with those types of books that feel very zeitgeist, even being three or four years old, so many things can have moved in so many different topics by now. So it's yeah. really interesting sometimes to go back on ones that are just a couple of years old or like I said, three or four years old and see how much of it is still relevant, what the conversation has changed, but one from last year, that's that's really great. 
good. Any other honourable mentions of books or anything you've been surprised by this year that you've read or have any books that you've put down that you just thought, actually, no, this was trash. <laughs> Feel free to get it about your system. Uh, no books that I've put down that have been trash yet. Because one of the things I did give myself permission to do was that if I didn't feel like I was getting something out of a book, I didn't beat myself up for putting it down. But I haven't really mm. had any of those books where I've, got, I've had to put down yet. I mean, an honourable mention, it's not a new one, but it's one that I have been digging back into again this year, which is the Medici effect. And, and it's by a, a man by Francis Johansson talking about creativity at the intersection of disciplines. And that's kind of been my go-to book when I want to kind of mm. spark creativity and ideation around diversity. Yeah, wow. Very cool. It's still one I haven't touched, but I know that a lot of people are a big fan of it. So obviously another one I need to put to my ever-growing list of books to read. Your list of books is <laughs> second to none. Well, uh, similar to you, I gave myself permission this year to do actually less reading. So I you know, had 40 books in my tally for this year. And as opposed to, I think it was 50 I had last year, ended up reading 52. I will go over, I've hit the 40 already in, in October. I will go over that, but it's just so nice to actually have the space and the ability to pause and you know a couple mm. of times this year I've had some big slumps where I've just not felt like picking up a book or grabbing my kindle or whatever so being able to put them down and just sort of go right just this week I won't read anything that's okay and doesn't actually get to a point where you miss it I just think is is really useful for any any hobby or skill or anything that you're doing not just reading yeah I mean there's part of you know things that we we do that should that should be a stretch like I think there's something about discipline that should come with a stretch but I don't think it should ever feel like this strain and I think mm. reading like that feels a bit like that for me like I want it to stretch me and I want it to kind of not feel like it's just constantly coming easy for me because it, it means that there's more in me but I also don't want it to become that thing that becomes so burdensome that I just dread picking up a book because I feel like I have to. Absolutely. Absolutely. And are you a hard copy, ebook, audio book? What's your way of reading? <laughs> People are going to be mortified when they hear this. I am an audible Kindle hard copy person. And so oh, what, you what between, I mean by yeah. that, I'll start a book. I have to have a hard copy. I just something about the pages and the, the tactile nature of a book. But then I'll go and so maybe I'm driving and I'll start reading the book and then I'll pick it up on Audible while I'm driving and then I'll travel and I'll go away somewhere. So I have it on Kindle as well. So I'm reading a book across three different devices to try and make sure that I can finish it. So it's a horrible yeah. way in terms of my bank account, but I, I appreciate <laughs> all three. Yeah, that's awesome. I know a couple of people who read in a very similar way and mostly between that audio book and the Kindle version. I just think that is a genius move by Amazon to, to make that possible because it's just the difference that makes for so many people in being able to read or not read. That That is the difference. You know, if they can pick it up in the car and switch it on to Audible and then they can get home, sit in bed and put it on, on their e-reader or whatever on their Kindle. I have not got into audiobooks still. I just can't. One of the things mm. I did, like I, I, I listened to Talking to Strangers by Malcolm Gladwell audiobook mm. this year. One of the things I loved about it is when you read, you get to read the transcript of the interview. But when he published the audiobook, he put excerpts from the interview so you could hear the actual person talking. And that really hooked me in. So as they're kind of developing and get better, I feel like it's easier to mm. listen to an audible book. Yeah, absolutely. And I am excited to see what happens with it because I think that format plus, you know, especially when you align it to things like podcasting, I think there's going to be so much overlap and yeah. that has already started. And I think that was one of the, probably the first ones. That was one actually I wish I had read read in inverted commas on <laughs> audible because the book I didn't love, but apparently the audio book was great for that reason. It's much more immersive and, and much more mm. interesting with the, with the interviews. It was almost like a series of podcasts rather than. Yeah. And he put music in as well, which again, mm. like changes your whole listening experience. So yeah, it's really clever. 
Absolutely. Very good. Well, thanks very much, Shane. I have enjoyed our bookish conversation. I always enjoy following your work and your thoughts and your thinking because I appreciate your brain. There we go. It's <laughs> what I appreciate you. about you. So where can people follow you or connect with you if they would like to do that after this and talk books or talk thinking with you? Yeah, pretty much anything Shane M. Hatton. So Shane Michael Hatton. So anything Shane M. Hatton, I'm pretty much anywhere you'll search for that. So LinkedIn is kind of where I spend most of my time. But yeah, anywhere. Perfect. And again, put links to Shane's contact details in the show notes as well. So thanks very much, Shane, and happy reading for the rest of the year. Thank you. So nice to talk to you.